Well, hey, welcome to Renovate. Uh, my name's Tyler, and I'm the Life Stage 2 pastor. I'm one of the young adult pastors here at Christ Chapel, and I am so glad that you're here with us tonight. If you're a guest, thank you for joining us. Uh, we're glad that you're here, and I just want to reemphasize what Robert was saying. Um, go get one of those Connect cards and fill that out, because that will give you access to all the things that we do uh, with our young adult ministry, all the small groups, all of the social activities, and all of the ministry opportunities that we have. So please take advantage of that. Um, we're in week two of a six-week series uh, titled Vital Signs. And we kicked off this spring semester back in January with a series with a bold title, Turning the World Upside Down. And we talked about how um, God has chosen to use sinful people like us to radically transform this world. And we've been called to make disciples. How do we turn the world upside down? You go and make disciples. And so after that series, we wanted to, to look at you personally as a Christian. And we wanted to essentially give you a spiritual checkup to see where you are in your walk with Christ. And so you can think of it like a scale, 1 to 10, as we ask these questions. And I just want you to think about where are you in your spiritual walk with Jesus Christ. And so we kicked it off last week with Ben. And he asked the question, do you thirst after God? Are you thirsting after God, who He is, His, His attributes, His love, His mercy? Are you thirsting after the gospel and Jesus it's Easter weekend, and we're looking at, we're celebrating the resurrection and what Jesus did. Are you thirsting after understanding more about who Jesus is and what Jesus did? For some of you on the scale, you might be at a two or three last week. Like, you know what? My, my life has been pretty dry. I've not really been thirsting after God, and I haven't really seen a need to do it. And last week was a wake-up call. And so each week we're going to ask one question. And so if you're taking notes, last week was, do you thirst after God? And this week I'm going to ask the question, are you hungering for God's word? So are you thirsting after God? And the next logical question is, are you hung hungering for God's word? I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but there was a Lifeway research study. And here's what it said about regular attenders of churches. 45% of those who regularly attend church read the Bible more than once a week. So less than half of people who normally go to church, regular attenders, less than half of us probably read the Bible about once a week. 40% of the people attending church on a consistent basis read their Bibles occasionally at most two times a month. You know, yeah, I get into the Bible, I know I need to get into it more, but about one or two times a month they filled out in the survey. And then 18% of regular attenders never read their Bible, they said on this survey. Are we hungering after the Word of God? I don't know if you knew this, but the way the Bible talks about itself is it, it talks about itself as spiritual food. There's several verses I want to go through. You don't have to turn there, but I want you to see how the Bible talks about itself and what we're supposed to do with the Bible. One of the major prophets in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, it says this in, in chapter 15, verse 16. Your words were found, this is Jeremiah speaking, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. So he found the Word of God. The Word of God was given to him 
and he consumed it. He ate it, and it was delightful and sweet to him. And then Ezekiel, another major prophet in the Old Testament, another godly man, in chapter 3, verse 3 of Ezekiel says, it says, He said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you, and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. So there was a revelation from God, and Ezekiel consumed it, and it was sweetness to his soul. And then Job, if you've read the, the, the book of Job, he went through a horrendous life of trials and tribulations. But he says in chapter 23, verse 12, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. And there's that food analogy that we see in the scriptures talking about themselves. And then finally, um, in Matthew chapter 4, a passage that many of you probably know, where Jesus is sent into the desert by the Holy Spirit. It's right at the beginning of his ministry. He was baptized and the Spirit came upon him. And the first thing the Spirit did was say, go out into the wilderness. And when he went out into the wilderness, he was fasting for 40 days. And Satan came and tempted him. Now think about this. Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. That is an allusion to the Old Testament where the people of God, the Israelites, were in the wilderness for 40 years. And in that, in Deuteronomy 8, it talks about how the Israelites were given manna from heaven by God. And in Exodus, it, it talks about how God sustained the people physically, manna from heaven, and, and, and God turned stones into manna for the people. It was amazing. And so Satan uses those scriptures, which... I don't know if you knew this, but Satan is a master at taking Scripture and twisting it. He knows the Bible better than any of us. And Jesus was vulnerable and Satan said, Why don't you just turn this rock into bread? You did it way back with the Israelites in the wilderness. You were the one who did that. Do it for yourself. Why don't you sustain yourself? If you're God, why don't you turn this stone into bread? And Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He said, I'm fasting right now. I don't need physical bread. What I need more than physical bread is spiritual bread. You don't tempt me because I find my nutrients, I find my strength from the word of God, not from physical bread. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. Are you hungering after the Word of God? Do you understand that the Word of God is your spiritual food? If you want to feed your soul and bring life and strength to your soul, you have to be nourished by the Word of God. And here's an ironic thing, and this is sad, and this is, uh, this is a story about me. I went to seminary in 2009, and before that I had read the Bible and, and read a ton of theology books, and people, uh, I, I'd been in the ministry for several years, and I had warnings from other pastors that said, be careful going to seminary, because you're going to go to seminary, and the Bible's going to become a textbook, and you're going to read the Bible, but you're not going to nourish your soul. You could become, you could starve yourself in seminary. Think about that. Someone who's training to be a pastor, training to teach other people the glories of the gospel, the glories of the scriptures. And I'm hearing from people, you better watch out if you go to seminary because it could turn into a textbook and you could starve yourself. And sure enough, first semester, that didn't happen. And I was like, man, that's not going to happen to me. I'm different. Second semester, assignments. 
papers, midterms. I'm studying all these theology books and I'm, I'm barely in the Bible, but I'm doing it for assignments. And, and slowly and surely the Bible began to diminish in my life. And I began to create a distance between me and the Word of God, even as I was studying theology books and learning how to preach, learning how to teach. And it was a slow, subtle decline in my life at the moment when I'm training to teach people like you about the Bible. I fell into the very same trap. And in fact, it got so bad that I can remember thinking, Why, is my life any different? I, I didn't read my Bible today. What's, what's different? I would go another day, and it's like, hey, I'm doing the same thing. I wake up in the morning, I study for class, I go to class, I work on campus, I have a wife, my wife Ariani, who I love, and I've, we had a child in that, in that time period, and I was looking at my life, and I'm like, does it really matter if I miss a day of reading God's Word? What, what, is, what is it giving me that I'm not having right now? I mean, when you start thinking that way, that's a dangerous place to be. And the reason I was thinking that way is because it was so subtle. It's like if you've ever been on a, a, a diet program or a weight program and you start to lose weight, you get up and look in the mirror every day and you put your clothes on and you don't really see a lot of difference. But if you go back and talk to friends who knew you before and they see you after a while, they're like, dang, you have lost a lot of weight. Man, you look great. And you're thinking, did I really lose that much weight? I look in the mirror every day and it doesn't look that much different because it subtly came off as I change my diet. That's happened to me before. It's the same thing here. If you start starving yourself from the Word of God, you're not going to see a dramatic change overnight. You might be able to continue going the way things are, but eventually you're going to start seeing changes. My wife started seeing changes in me. I began to be a little more irritable, a little less peaceful. I kind of had lost that contentment and started getting confused about what God wanted me to do with my life and where I was supposed to be. I began to experience greater levels of stress and anxiety when, when there were times in the past where I was like, man, I didn't feel this way. What's wrong with me? And because my mind was so cloudy and because of my sinful nature, I wasn't able to make the connections in the moment that the reason I was starting to feel these things is because I was stopping feeding my soul with the Word of God. And so I had to come to a place of repentance, which I hope some of you do tonight, where I had to say, Lord, I need you to change my heart. I need a drastic change because I'm starving myself spiritually and it might not affect me now, but it can destroy me in the future. There is no neutral in the Christian life. There is no neutral in the Christian life. You're either progressing towards God or you're moving away. You can't rely on your past experiences when you're walking with God. Every day is a battle. That's why Paul says every day, pray without ceasing. Be on guard. Be alert. You're in a battle. You can't rely on old technology and old armor in a battle. You've got to stay up to date. And when you're in the Christian life, you can't rely on your past experiences. You can't say, well, I was saved when I was nine years old. And I gave my life to Jesus. And so I'm saved. I have nothing to worry about. Now I'm going to live my life for myself. You can't do that. Because you'll starve your soul and you will die. It's a terrible thing. Are you hungering for the Word of God? Do you want more of the Word of God? Are you enjoying intaking the very revelation of the God of the universe? That's the question I want you to ask tonight about yourself as you listen to me preach. 
And I want to encourage you, if you're at a zero or at a one, do not leave here beat up and defeated and thinking I'm hopeless. What I want you to do is leave here and say, Lord, I repent of choosing to nourish my soul with other things, and I want to nourish my soul with the Word of God. I want to change. Help me. There is hope in this message, even though you might not feel it at the beginning. So here's what I want to do tonight, real quickly. I want to give you three signs that will help you determine whether you're hungering God or not. So think of that scale, 1 to 10. As you listen to these signs, where am I at? That's the question I want you to ask. And then at the end, the second part, I'm going to share with you a few ways that you can increase your hunger for God. I don't want to leave you hanging. I want to give you some ways that you can increase your hunger for God. So first sign that you're hungering for God's Word. It's a simple one. It's obvious. Do you love to read God's Word? Do you get excited about reading God's Word? Do you look forward to reading God's Word? Do you find treasures in God's Word? In the very middle of your Bible is Psalm 119. It's the longest, uh, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. I think it's 170-something verses in Psalm 119. And guess what it's all about? Every single verse in Psalm 119 is about God's Word. It's about His commandments. It's about His laws. It's about His precepts. It's about His Word. It's saturated with God's Word. And here's a few samplings from that very long chapter. And I'm just going to go through them. Verse 47, For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Verse 48, I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 113, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. Verse 127, therefore I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. I love your commandments. In verse 163, I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. This is a man who is saturated, nourished by God's word. John Piper says this, he says, loving the truth is a matter of perishing or being saved. I'm going to say that again. Loving the truth is a matter of perishing or being saved. Indifference to the truth is a mark of spiritual death. Indifference to the word of God is a mark of spiritual death. If you profess to be a Christian and you are completely indifferent to God's word to you, that is a mark that you are dead or spiritually in a very, very bad place and you're not safe. And you will not find joy and you will not find peace and you will not find contentment. It is a bad place to be. This is a life or death thing. If you don't love the word of God, then you may not love the God of the word. If you say you love God, but you hate God's word, you may not love God. It would be like my wife leaving love letters for me every day when I go off to work and I read them and go, man, I just, I'm getting tired of those. I, I'm getting tired of my wife telling me how much she loves me and cares for me. And I just, I really don't feel like reading those anymore. Does that show that I'm in a good place in my relationship with my wife? No. My wife left me a love letter. I'd be so excited to open that thing up and see what it says. See what she says about me. And that's what God's word is. I've heard numerous people say it's a, it's a love letter to his people. It's, it's his truth that he wants to give to his people. 
And so do you love to read it? Number two, do you love to talk about it? Do you, do you love to talk about God's Word? Or do you read God's Word and it kind of just goes into the back of your mind and you move on in your day and you really don't have this burning desire to talk about it? I love this from Jeremiah. Jeremiah was um, an amazing man. A, a group of our residents, we have a residency program here in Life Stage 2 with people that are graduating from college and that are feeling like they're called to the ministry. And in that residency program, we went through the Old Testament and Jeremiah was a fascinating day. And here's what Jeremiah says about speaking God's word. This is chapter 20, verse 9. He says, But if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak in His name, and, and prophets speak in His name, and God tells them what to say, God gives them His word and they say it. So he says, If I never mention the Lord or speak in His name, His word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I'm worn out trying to hold it in. In fact, I can't do it. Jeremiah loved the Word of God so much. And he, he had such a desire and calling to tell people about God's Word that he just simply couldn't keep it inside. He, he couldn't contain it. It just bursted out of him and he had to tell people God's Word. And sometimes what he had to tell people is what they didn't like to hear. But he loved the word so much that he couldn't keep quiet. And then in Acts chapter 4 in the New Testament, Peter and John were arrested and brought before a Roman council. And they wanted them to shut up about Jesus. Just, hey, we won't, we won't kill you, we won't flog you, but just stop talking about him. Because you're messing things up. You're turning the world upside down. And here's what they said. Or here's this passage. It's, it's chapter 4, verses 18 to 20. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But... Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. So I'll leave that in your hands. But as for us, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Hey, you might have to kill us and that's great. You might have to flog us and we'll, we'll do that. You know, you judge for yourself whether we need to do this or not. But as for us, we have to tell people what we've seen and heard. We can't keep quiet about the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that offers salvation and hope and eternal life and forgiveness and, and offers hope to the Jews who've been believing in something else. He is the promised Messiah. We can't keep quiet about this. This is what we have to do. Kill us, flog us, put us in jail. Sorry, we're not shutting up. They couldn't help but talk about God's word because they were so saturated with the word of God. Paul knew the Word of God inside and out. Peter knew the Word of God inside and out. John knew the Word of God inside and out. They loved the Word of God. They were filled with the Word of God. And God opened their eyes to the truth and they were so set ablaze with the glory of God that they found in the Gospel that they had to tell people. And it didn't matter the consequences. And yet I find in my life too many times where I keep quiet about the Word of God where I pull back, where I feel like God's telling me to speak the truth in a situation because I'm worried about what people think about me. I'm not worried about being put in prison. I'm not worried about being persecuted. I'm worried about how great they think I am. And I'm worried about offending them because I'm so afraid of conflict that I would reserve what God wants to share with them because I'm protecting my own self-interest. This message is 
convicting to me. These messages are convicting to Ben. These things confront us with our sin every week. When I look at this, I have to address what's going on in my life before I can address what's going on in your life. I've got to speak the truth. And in fact, God called me to this ministry. I'm kind of an introvert. I like to sit in Starbucks and read books. I could do it for hours. I like people. I love to be around people. But the more comfortable, the more time I spend with people, the more comfortable I am and the more extrovert they see me. But generally speaking, getting up in front of strangers and talking about things would not be something I would do if God didn't compel me to do it. If I didn't have the Word of God to share with you, I wouldn't be here. Some of you have that entertainment streak in you and you would be up entertaining people regardless. For me, I'm compelled to do this because I want to tell people about God's Word and I love to teach people about God's Word. And that's a mark of being hungry for God's Word. And so, are you hungry for God's Word? If you read the Word of God and you have no desire to share it, then there is a spiritual disconnect somewhere. As you're evaluating yourself, doing the spiritual checkup, some things need to change. And number three, it's the last sign, and then we're going to go into some ways to cultivate this hunger. I love this one. I have a passion for this one. This is a sign that you're hungering for the Word of God. You love to ask the question, what does the Bible say? You love to ask the question, what does the Bible say? I meet with a group of guys on Thursday night. We call one group the think tank and the other group the round table. And all we do is we sit around the table and we read books that are classic books. We read heretical books. We read books like the Communist Manifesto. And, and we read about Frederick Nietzsche and Beyond Good and Evil, these atheists. And the whole purpose of us doing this is so we could see what the Bible has to say about these influential figures in, in the history of civilization. We want to address these ideas that are so compelling, these ideas that are changing civilizations, these ideas that have killed tens of millions of people, these ideas that people in our culture today are believing, these ideas, college students, that you're being taught in your school. We want to take these ideas and we want to say, what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about dating? What does the Bible say about social issues like homosexuality and abortion? What does the Bible say about uh, whether this career is the right career for me or this career is the right career for me? What does the Bible say about marriage? What does the Bible say about child rearing? What does the Bible say about my struggles with anxiety and depression? What does the Bible say about stress? What does the Bible say? Fill in the blank. People who hunger for the Word of God and are being satisfied by the Word of God constantly ask, well, what does the Bible say about this situation? You know, your parents are giving you advice and saying, I really think you need to, to hold off on marriage because you don't, you're not financially stable enough and you need to have this much money in the bank and you need to have this. And what does the Bible say about that? Or, hey, we want to we wait. I don't know if we want to have kids right now. We want to put that off. I'm not saying the Bible says not to do that, but what does the Bible say about that? And so people that love the Word of God and that are hungry for the Word of God constantly ask, what does the Bible say? How many of you ask when I'm speaking or when Ben's speaking or when Ted's speaking on Sunday morning or if you go to a different church on Sundays, your pastor, do you ever ask, well, what does the Bible say about what Tyler's teaching? I remember a group of people in, in the New Testament in the book of Acts. They were called the Bereans. 
And Paul came to town, and Paul was bringing the heat. Paul was preaching the gospel. And Paul was good at it, and Paul had a, had a pedigree. And I'm sure a lot of people just thought, well, if Paul said it, it's true. But here's what the Bereans did in verse 11 of chapter 17. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. And then it says this, they searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. When I get up here and teach, do you just take it as gospel truth or do you go back to your scriptures and say what of what Tyler was saying is true and what of what Tyler was saying was probably off trust me I'm trying to be gospel centered and bible centered and I don't ever want to tell you guys something that is false but you have to check me because I'm fallible every book you read you have to check and say what does the bible say about what this person's saying do you do that that is something you've got to cultivate in your life. Does the Bible govern the way you live? Does the Bible govern your relationship with your girlfriend or boyfriend right now? Or are you taking your cues from the world? Are you being influenced by the world's way of dating and the Bible really has little say in how you're making decisions in your dating relationship right now? Does the Bible, is it, con is it controlling and governing how you're um, doing your work in the workplace, wherever you are, you know, lawyer, nurse, real estate agent, oil and gas business, are you thinking, am I working in a way that would bring glory to God? What does the Bible say about how I should work out in this world? These are questions you have to ask, and for some of you, the Bible has little to say about how you, how you live your day-to-day -day life. Psalm 119 again, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You want to know the will of God for your life? Read the Bible. The Bible is the light to your path. It's the lamp to your feet. As you have all of these choices, as you saturate yourself with the word of God, directions open up, doors close, and avenues open up. If you want to know the will of God for your life, saturate yourself, feed your soul with the word of God. So those are the three signs. Do you love to read it? Do you love to talk about it? And do you love to ask the question, what does the Bible say about fill in the blank? And so let's finish up with these last few minutes. How do you develop a hunger for the Word of God? These are just a few tips. I could go on forever about these, but just tips. If you're taking notes, just write them down and think about them later. But the first thing, number one, if you don't have that hunger, you need to pray ASAP for God to give you that hunger. And I remember my Old Testament professor at the seminary, I asked him, I was like, man, how do you know so much scripture? It's crazy. I'm jealous of how much scripture you know. It's, it's, it's spooky smart how much scripture you know. He knows like the whole Bible. And I'm like, I want that. And he said, the first thing you got to do is you got to pray for it. You got to pray, Lord, give me a hunger to know your word so much that you're going to spend that time in it. And so you got to pray for it. Number two, you have to remember it's about a relationship, not rules. Don't leave here thinking this is a, a box you got to check. And then if I check this box, then God will be happy with me. This isn't about checking boxes. This isn't about rules. This is about knowing Jesus Christ on an intimate level. And the only way you can know Jesus Christ on an intimate level is through His Word. Jesus is the living Word. The Bible is the written Word. Jesus tells everyone about Himself and who He is. The Bible tells everyone about who Jesus is. It's all about Jesus so if you want to build your relationship with Jesus, you do it by getting in the Word and not by thinking, I've just got to check the box.
Number three, read consistently. Read it consistently. Um, don't raise your hand, but how many of you do a Bible reading program, like a walk through the Bible in a year? There's a million different programs. I've been terrible at those, but I'm not quitting. I tried a new one this year, and things are going well. I'm only four days behind. So I'm working through it. I'm committed to it. It's one of my goals. I'm going to defeat one of those Bible reading programs. That's the last thing I do. There's my rule checking. Sorry about that. Um, But yeah, do you have a Bible reading program? Are you getting into the Bible consistently? Not just randomly, like once a month, like close your eyes and flip through and I'm going to read this random verse. That's dangerous. Um, But do you have a system? Do you have a program? Are you taking initiative with this? It's not something that's just going to magically happen. You've got to cultivate the discipline. And so you've got to read it consistently. We can help you find a Bible reading program. If you want to know one, come talk to me. Come talk to Ben. Come talk to some of our other staff, Kristen. Um, We have a Bible reading program that the church does here at Christ Chapel. I actually don't do it. I have an ESV Bible reading, walk through the Bible in a year. But our church has a deal called The Quest. And you can download it online and it will probably give you alerts on your phone to, to read that passage for the day. And then the, the, uh, the apps on your phone, there's a ton of Bible reading apps. And if you're someone who commutes to work and spends long hours driving, get one of those audio Bible reading apps where you can listen for about 15 minutes of your commute to that passage for the day and move on. Um, I love this from Donald Whitney who wrote the book that we're kind of using. Um, he says, little input of God's word results in little resemblance to God's son. Little input of God's word will result in little resemblance to God's son. So you want to look like Christ more, um, start eating the word of God. Um, Let's see here. Number four, supplement your Bible reading with great books that are saturated, saturated with scripture. So just like we take vitamin supplements, you know, it doesn't replace the foods we need to eat, but they, they supplement them. It's helpful to read books that really motivate you to read the Bible. And so they supplement your Bible reading and you want to find books that are very scripture centered. You know, they're constantly quoting scripture and uh, I could get into that about the devotionals, but we'll keep moving along. And then number five, the last one, um, this is a forgotten art, but learning, relearning the forgotten art of meditation and memorization. Meditation has been hijacked by um, you know, the Oriental religions, Buddhism and Hinduism and a lot of, you know, yoga and, and some of these Eastern religions really lift up meditation. And so a lot of Christians think, oh, meditation's bad. Meditation is good. It's about what you meditate on. But we need to spend time meditating on the Word of God and letting the Word of God saturate our minds and our hearts. And the only way to do that is to know the Word of God. So you've got to memorize the Word of God. Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The only way to renew your mind is to put the Word of God in your mind. And one of the best ways to do that is to memorize Scripture. John Piper says, memorizing Scripture is one of the surest routes to going deep with God and walking in communion with Him. Um, man, I've, I've got a good illustration, but I'm going to have to save it, of a gentleman in, uh, in England in the 19th century. His name is George Mueller. Anybody ever heard of George Mueller? He's written a book on prayer. But he started a bunch of orphanages in England. And uh, anyways, he did everything by faith. He didn't raise money. He just believed that God would give it to him. But he talks about how important meditating on Scripture was for his joy. 
And he says, he, he, I'll just say this, I won't read the whole passage, but he says, the first and great primary business to which I attend to every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. He says, the first thing I do every day is to, I'm not going to leave the house until my soul is happy in the Lord. And the only way to do that, he says later on, is to really meditate and, and dwell on the scriptures. So, where are you on the spectrum? On the scale, 1 to 10, where are you? Do you hunger after the Word of God? Are you thinking, man, the Word of God has kind of been a side note in my Christian life. It's been something I've been wanting to do, but I haven't really been doing it. And when I do do it, I'm kind of bored. Is that where you are? Or are you in a good place, but you want to take it to the next level? Has your hunger for God been, for the Word of God been increasing or decreasing? Because it never stays neutral. You find yourself more and more in love with God's Word or more and more distant from God's Word. And so I'm going to close with this quote and then we'll pray. Um, I'm a church history guy, so I love church history. But one of the greatest preachers in the history of the church was Charles Spurgeon. He was a 19th century preacher in, in London, and they called him the Prince of Preachers. And he was, a, he was an awesome man. Go read about him. He's amazing. But here's what he says, and this is my prayer for all of us, and then I'm going to pray after I read this. He says, it is blessed to eat into the very soul of the Bible until at last you come to talk in scriptural language. So I'll say it again. It's blessed to eat into the very soul of the Bible until at last you come to talk in scriptural language. And your spirit is flavored with the words of the Lord so that your blood is bibbling and the very essence of the Bible flows from you. Are you one of those people who's so saturated with the Word of God, who's eaten so much of the Word of God, that your soul is so full of the Word of God that when you speak, that when you talk, if someone were to cut you, you would bleed the Bible? That's my hope for us. That's my hope for me, that we would love the Word of God so much that it doesn't matter what we think, it doesn't matter what we do, it doesn't matter how we speak. The Bible just comes out. Scripture comes out. Truth comes out, the gospel comes out, and that people would look at you and go, man, that person loves the word of God. That's my prayer for us. Let's pray. What an amazing book that we all probably have two or three copies of. There's other parts of the world that would die to have a complete copy of the word of God, and we probably have three or four sitting on our shelves. And yet, Lord, you're not here tonight to send us away beaten down, condemned, and thinking that we have no hope. But you're here tonight to offer, to extend grace and mercy for those who want to repent of malnourishing their soul because of their lack of the Bible in their lives. Lord, I thank you that you didn't leave us in our sin. You didn't just, after the fall... After sin entered the world, you didn't just leave us hanging and say, well, good luck. I hope you can earn your right standing before me. I'm not going to help you out. I hope you make it. He didn't do that. I thank you, Lord, that you gave us your word, your revelation, the very words of God that are true and infallible and right and inerrant that we can bank our whole lives on. You gave us a way out of our sin. You gave us a way out of our despair. You gave us 
a way out of a life with a soul that is sick and dying, given us hope. And so I pray tonight, whether someone's at a one or a two or a five or a six or even at a seven or eight, that we would take the next steps in allowing your word to nourish our soul. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us your word. And in doing that, giving us hope. Lord, as we worship tonight, may you be lifted up and glorified. And may we search our souls to see where we are in regards to your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.